We are in week two of a series we're calling Soul Care. Soul Care. We live in a world uh, where we have self-care, career care, relational care. I spent six hours on ribs yesterday. We've got food care. What does it look like for us to have soul care? What does that mean? Why is that important? Last week, we started um, the series off in a very appropriate way. Pastor A.J. did an amazing job in Psalms chapter 63. What he did is he helped uh, us rightly begin to order our souls through six specific types of questions. Uh, What do you believe? What do you want? What have you seen? What will you do? How will you do it? Uh, if you weren't here last, last week, you might be asking, well, Corey, what exactly is your soul? What does that mean? Um, to define that, uh, Dallas Willard will teach us. Right off the bat, going with Dallas Willard, this is what he says about our soul. This is what it is. What is running your life at any given moment is your soul. Not external circumstances, Not your thoughts, not your intentions, not even your feelings, but your soul. The soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. The soul is the life center of human beings. In other words, what he's saying is that the soul connects all that you are. It integrates, it connects, it binds together your will, along with your mind, which is your thoughts, your feelings, your desires. And then your body, which is your appetites, your passions, your habits, your behaviors. And see, what the beautiful thing about the soul is that God designed us so that our choices, our thoughts, our desires, and our behaviors would be in perfect harmony with each other and would be empowered by an unbroken connection with God and ultimately with his creation. It cries out for integration, wholeness, harmony. They can only be accomplished through connection and relationship with God. This is what we were made for. You're a soul made by God, made for God, and made to need God, which means you were not made to be self-sufficient. You were were made to now long for the one who enlivens and connects and, and now breathes upon your soul. Constant connection. Constant hearing of this creator who is now breathing on this soul. Now quickening your heart allowing for you to see what you're supposed to see and and now enjoying the world around you. What happens when you're Soul begins to sink out of integration and into disintegration. The Bible calls this a soul that's been cast down. Cast down soul. What do we do when our soul is cast down? What does God do? What is the environment of a soul that's been cast down? I want to title this Stopping the Sinkhole. Stopping the sinkhole. Would you stand with me as we reach Psalms chapter 42? If you haven't gotten your Bible reading in, no worries. We're going to get it in right now. 
We're going to read the entire chapter, Psalms chapter 42. This is what it says. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep, the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of of the enemy. It's with a deadly wound in my bones. My adversaries taunt me. Well, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Lord, we love you. Bless the reading of your word. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There's a phenomenon that's been occurring in Hillsborough County, Florida. The Florida man, not just a Florida man, there's also a Hillsborough County phenomenon. There's a frequency of this phenomenon for maybe the past 10 to 15 years. It's called a sinkhole. State lies of Florida lies on a bedrock made of limestone or a collection of carbonate rock that can be eaten away by acidic groundwater, forming voids that collapse when the rock can no longer support the weight of what's above it. I've got a few pictures. Yes. Look at that. Holy, that is bigger on the screen. Wow. (laughs) Um, Hillsborough County is part of an area known as Sinkhole Alley that accounts for two-thirds of the sinkhole-related insurance claims in the state. In fact, in 2021, it was a 20-mile section of Hillsborough County that was literally shut down and evacuated because it was destroying p- property, taking lives, and bringing fear. Growing, moving acid that eats away underneath the surface and causes collapse one section at a time. That's a sinkhole. And this is the vivid description that David gives us of what the sons of Korah are describing in this word, cast down. The word cast down in the Hebrew It literally means to sink down, 
melt away or collapse. Uh, he, he goes on and says, why are you in turmoil within me? The word turmoil literally means growling or roaring. Have you ever been in a place where your soul is sinking or growling? Sinking or growling? Where you just can't get your traction and you're slipping and everything that comes at you, it just is a dart straight to your, straight to your heart, takes away your, your, your energy, your passion, your perspective, your, your amazement at where you are. It literally knocks you right out, your feet underneath you, or you react where you growl, you attack, you're angry, you have no energy. This is what David is describing as a cast down soul. Now, Psalms chapter 42 is the beginning of book number two in the book of Psalms. It's written by the sons of Korah. They are a, a host of, of um, creatives that take the ideas that David gives and they are creating songs. So we're not really sure who is being talked of. Now, a lot of pe people think that this is referring to David when he was, as you heard last week, um, navigating this journey with his son, Absalom. We're not, we're not sure what it was, but what we can, can assume presume about the text is that we're not really sure if this is as a result of God and his acts or David receiving the repercussions of his own decisions. We're not sure, but I think that really when we read this and unpack this, what we're going to discover is that both are at work, that we, we can navigate, that we, un we understand what it's like to be cast down whether we are the ones who are shooting ourselves in the foot or we are in a season where God is just at work and he's creating environments where we don't know why, we don't know how, we didn't cause it, but man, we're feeling something. We're overwhelmed by it. We're slipping and sinking, growling. This is what David is navigating. And what he does in these few verses is he helps us understand the makings of a sinkhole. There's, there's actually five of them, five makings, creation, environment. Like if you are wondering, Corey, how is a sinkhole formed into my soul that I find myself slipping into? Sinkhole number one is displaced. Verse six says this, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Jordan, Mizar, he's away from home. It's positional fatigue. Have you ever been in a place where you're outside of your comfort zone? Uh-huh, okay, okay. Where you are in a space where you have been brought out of where you are familiar with and you've been placed in an environment that now causes you to be exhausted because you are outside of your comfort zone. You're away from home. You feel like you're drifting. You feel disconnected. You're surviving, but you're certainly not thriving. What I've noticed is that 
taking the analogy of wines, bitterness is paired really well, really well with being displaced. You get put into a space where you didn't choose and you look at God and you go, you put me here. So what, what happens? It begins to, to bubble up. How do you begin to slip? You slip because of the fact that you look at God and go, you've displaced me. And then David continues and he goes, in verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? He feels disowned. You've got a positional fatigue, a tiredness, an exhaustion that's slow. It's slow, but it's steady. It's, it, it's, it's ongoing. It's slow, it's slow. Along, but then on top of that, what he's also feeling is he's feeling a spiritual fatigue that God himself has forgotten him. God's turned his back on you. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt the loneliness that comes with that? That you've done everything you know to be faithful. You, you've done what you can. Or if, you've, if you're in a place of sin and you, you, you find yourself in a place where, God, I feel like you've disowned me. And then you go all types of theological places that you probably shouldn't go. Of I earn this. I, I'm getting what I deserve. Uh, again, we, we go through all of these spaces. But ultimately, man, I have navigated these, these unique Gosh, these, this, this treadmill of feeling like, God, you've disowned me. And then, man, I, I find myself getting angry or find myself beginning to slip. My traction's gone. I'm wondering, man, God, have, have, you, have you stopped extending your love, your compassion, your care? He goes on. He says, verse 1, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you. It's dryness. It's an emotional fatigue. Dryness is when everything seems weary, stale, flat, unprofitable. When a, dry, a dry soul is an exhausted soul. Dry soul is without energy. Dry soul is susceptible. Exhausting. You're, you're, you're putting yourself out there, but you have, I mean, I, again, I, going back to the whole ribs thing. So I took, I put my ribs in this cooker for six hours in a smoker. And I didn't realize that a part of cooking ribs is you've got to add moisture every 30 minutes. Hopefully, it's like apple vinegar and apple, apple um, juice. I mean, it's like something sweet. Oh, it's fantastic. And you spray those ribs every 30 minutes. If you don't, what happens to those ribs? Intense heat where there is no moisture produces dryness. And when you are going through a space where you are feeling intensity in the heat around you, and you're overwhelmed. I mean, you're just, you're just going, you're going forward. You, you have an intense pace. And, and everywhere you go, it's just heat, heat, heat. And yet you have no moisture. What happens to your soul? What happens to your thoughts? What happens to your energy? What happens to your purpose? What happens to even your perspective on why you're in the game to begin with? It gets dry. And we do stupid things when we're dry. 
You turn to things that you think will now give you the moisture you long for. And guess what it does? It makes you even more dry. Salt water, drinking that salt water in the ocean, drinking it, drinking it, drinking it, drinking it. Where are you after 30 minutes of drinking salt water? Man, it's turning you inside out because of the salt. You are more thirsty. I mean, have you ever found yourself in a space, in your soul, heat is there, the pace is there, you feel like there's no moisture. He goes on. Oh, and when it comes to dryness, guess what is really well paired with dryness? Apathy. Where you just don't care anymore. You're giving, you're giving, you're giving, and you're like, man, what's the point? And then he, what David does is he switches the analogy yet again. Verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. You see where I'm going with this. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He's drowning. He's gone from, drown, from being dry, he can't get any moisture, to now he's got more moisture. He knows he's literally being overwhelmed with the intensity of, of now the water that's coming at him. It's a mental fatigue. Have you ever been here? Where everything seems to get on top of us. We may simply have taken on more than we can cope with. It's knocked us off our feet. We're overwhelmed. We're outmatched. Some of us feel like that with our debt, with our relationships. We're just in an environment where it's not that we're dry. We are just drowning. We're drowning in shame. We're drowning in guilt. We're drowning in unfulfilled dreams. We're drowning in, in a longing for something. We don't even know what it is. Drowning. We're, we're, we're desperate for something to hold on to. What's paired well with this? It's anger. Just mad. It's ticked off. Spicy. Salty. God, you said that you were supposed to be a preserver of my life. And I'm here drowning. And I can't find you. I'm looking, I'm searching, I'm literally coming up empty. And he comes up with the last one right here. Verse 10. My adversaries. Just means that it's, 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 are those who were supposed to be for David have turned against him. My adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the while, where is, is your God? This is he's disheartened. He's, this is relational fatigue. The people who have been representing God's covenant love have abandoned him. He's been let down by those he depended on. Covenant love he's always known has been removed, removing his heart in the process. Have you ever gone through this? This is just the cherry on top. Where the people that you needed, you were relying on, you were turning to, have just turned on you. I mean, it's not, it's, it's, it's not even, I mean, just think about it. He's dry. He's drowning. 
He's empty. And now the very people who were supposed to be surrounding him have left him. He's lost his heart. What's paired well with this one? Unforgiveness. Here's a, a couple of questions that I've asked myself this week, and so I invite you into my process. When you think about this idea of the sinkhole, the makings of a sinkhole, and now you assessing your own life to ask yourself, are you stuck in a sinkhole? Here's a couple of questions to help you clarify that. Things bother you more than they should. Does your spouse's ice or gum chewing become a character flaw? I just wanted to add that one in. <laughs> oh, man. She's looking around. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel distracted almost like it's difficult to be fully present? Is it hard for you to make up your mind about even simple decisions? Your heart's full. Overwhelmed. Can't think right because you have no traction. Your equilibrium's been, it's off. Do impulses to eat or drink or spend or crave seem harder to resist than normal? Do you feel unusually vulnerable to people or circumstances? Does your judgment seem off or suffering? You feel easily thrown off by life and relationships. Like it doesn't take much to just get you knocked off. Has your courage been gutted? Fatigue makes cowards of us all. You find yourself slipping into patterns that you just haven't in a long time. Literally falling. See, what's amazing about this idea of of a life that's in a sinkhole is that if you're slipping, if you find yourself in your soul slipping or, or now you're, you're, you're growling or groaning, what is inside of you eventually comes out. And now you find yourself slipping with patterns and reacting to those that love you. So what we find is that the, collectively throughout the Scripture... The Bible gives us some warnings about where we are with this understanding of a sinkhole being formed in our soul. And now what David is doing is he's unveiling it and he's helping us see that you and I, the human heart, is sinkhole alley. That's what the human heart is. A tendency, a leaning in, a bent towards, rushing into, jumping into sinkholes. And, and what the Bible does is it helps us see some things. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which what? Wage war against your soul. So it's one thing to have a sinkhole, and now you're discovering that the environment around you combined with the weakness in your own soul are beginning to connect, and you are beginning to have to make decisions Am I going to abstain from the emotions and responses and reactions that come into this environment or am I going to jump in? What Peter is saying is that if you don't fight and contend for your soul, if you don't have soul care, we'll wage war against your soul. 
Well, James 1.8 says this. It goes even deeper. A double-minded man is unstable in all he does. Now, what's fascinating about the Greek word for double-minded is this, it's this word suke, which is soul. A double-souled man is unstable in all he does. So what happens is if you don't contend for your soul, if you don't consider where you are in the, in the realities of your environment and what's at work in you, and then those begin to, to now begin to pounce and create an environment where you're getting stuck and you're literally, you're raging and roaring or you're slipping, it will now not only wage war against your soul, it will create in you and I a two-souled person that is unstable in all that we do, which means we will have conversations with one soul and conversations with the other, and we have those all day. And then we make decisions out of, we're not sure which soul. Big decisions. Big decisions about life, big decisions about your purpose, big decisions about what your future will will entail, and we're making them out of a two-souled approach. Now, again, I say this, all, all of this, through my own lens of, of experience. Because here's the reality. A sinking and growling soul, if not addressed and reordered, will become a sinking and growling life. And I, my own, <laughs> my own experience as a, as a man who stutters and stammers, not did, not used to, present tense, still stutters and stammers, is that so much, my greatest battle is the battle for my soul. And the battle for whether or not I am going to now step into the sinkhole. As a young man that was defined by how I communicated and my failures, and then the result was, I would now create in me a a desire, a longing to just be a fighter. I'm going to fight through it. And when someone made fun of me, that's okay, I'll punch them. (laughs) I'm serious. Like like this was this this, this process of Corey Bendix being formed in my pain. A soul that was disintegrating, trying to find and reach for anything that would help my dry and drowning soul. And even at the point in which I encountered Jesus, even stepping, constantly wrestling with rejection, the feeling that when I don't perform the way I feel like I should, people around me leaving, or at least me feeling like they do, when they really don't. It's this ongoing wrestling match of, will I allow the sinkhole to swallow me alive? How, how will I fight this? This is what Parker Palmer says. The divided life is a wounded life. And the soul keeps calling us to heal the wound. So how do we do it? How does David encourage us, implore us to stop the sinkhole? What's, what does this look like? 42.10, he, he gives us three approaches. Number one, 42.10, 
As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. This is what he does. He refuses to pretend. I mean, you see it all throughout this chapter. He is honest with God. I mean, he is ruthlessly honest. He is transparent. He is done faking. He's done trying to dress it up. He owns it. God, this is where I'm at. I mean, have you ever, as a man, have you ever come to a place where, like, this is where I'm at in my soul, in my thoughts, in my past? Like, this is where I'm at, God. You know what? I am now, you know what? I am a, I'm a 37-year-old man, and I'm still battling with certain desires and lusts and things online. I'm still, here's where I'm at. Have you ever done that? Were you just straight up honest? Stop pretending. Stop the pretense. You go all in. You're like, you know what? This is where I'm at. I mean, this is what this man does. He puts it all on the table. And he's like, God, I am. My bones are rotting. You've left me. People have left me. This is where I'm at. I, again, going back to my July 4th experience, I had my family over, and we're, we're all on my deck. Well, all over the last, and again, this is a, an embarrassing picture I'm about to show you. Don't judge me, Okay. Um, over the last few months, there's been some things going on with my deck that's caused some of my wood in certain sections to like get soft and then begin to kind of rot. So what I've done is I've hidden it with plants. You can show it up. So on the lower right-hand side, now I, I, I have usually put large planters all around because I don't want people to see it, and ultimately, I don't want to fix it right now. Just don't want to fix it. And so my, my family is over, and I'm, I'm staring at this, like, literal sinkhole in my deck. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's time. To, like, it's time. Like, like, have you ever come to a place where you take the planter off, and you're like, I'm done hiding? Like, I've been hiding this thing for too long. And you pull it all out, and you're like, call in some buddies. We're fixing this deck today. Like, have you ever come to a place where, where you actually say, you know what, I'm going to refuse to pretend. I'm going to stop it. You know what? Intimacy begins. Intimacy with God. That basically means seeing into me. Intimacy is allowing someone to see into you. When you stop pretending, you're actually giving God permission to see into you. I mean, he sees, like you are, you are now acknowledging the current damage of your soul. It, the, the impact of your environment, whether you caused it or not, doesn't matter. You're, you're owning it. You're acknowledging it. And for David, step one is he says, this is where I'm at. I'm not going to pretend. It's who I am. He owns the acid of resentment and pain. He owns it. But then what he does, 42.6, in verse 8, therefore I remember you. At night his song is with me. He refuses to forget. Now, now this, the word remember, I looked this thing up, and guess what it means? It literally means to take someone to court. To be so meticulous in your memory to be so specific that you're willing, that you have it all down. You know exactly what happened so that you can come with power and pop 
when you take it to court. What David is saying, what the, what the sons of Korah are saying, is that the memory, again, it's not nostalgia. He has a memory because he, he's, he's in a war. He has to be specific of what God's faithfulness has done to the community and to him. I mean, have you ever come to a place where it's one thing to be nostalgic about God's great faithfulness to you? Oh, he's, done, he's just been so good. But man, when you're in a battle, you're like, no, no, I got to get details. I got to have layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of God's faithfulness because I am going to war with this. Like he, first it starts with, he clears the decks with transparency and then he steps into now a remembrance, a literal remembrance and he finds his protection around the faithfulness of God. My daughter Brooke is in South Africa right now and she's been there for six weeks or so. She's got a few weeks left. She's with the webs uh, supporting a collection of orphans. She's doing great. Well, a part of this experience was they took her to a rhino and lion sanctuary for two days. She saw over 40 animals. And at night, they would take her to a compound. They would have locked doors, but where you slept was right next to the fence. And what they said is, you might hear lions at night. Well, she, at 3.30 in the morning, my girl, is, is recording lions right outside of the fence eating something. And here she is behind the security of, this, of, of, of where this compound, compound was trying to sleep, but at the same time now fighting the fear of what's outside. What David is doing is he is hearing the voices of the lions and yet he's behind the security and faithfulness of his God. Like he is secure, he's safe, but that doesn't stop the voices, lions. They, like the soul is waging, it's warring, and what does he have to fight with? Dude has remembrance. What, is the, what are the meticulous lines of what God has done through his faithfulness that you are now holding onto? Not just holding onto it, you're wrapping it around you. So when your grip goes, it still has you. What, do you. what do you have? And then he refuses to be silent. 42.11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. Hope, hope in God. Why are you downcast? Hope in God. The growling soul demands a new sound. When, when you begin, when your perspective opens through transparency, and then you begin to remember, 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 it hasn't impacted your voice yet. But now what David does, he's going, oh, man, I got something to say. I actually have something to say. And so he takes the hope he had in the king, and he speaks to us. So have you, like, for, as a man, that is so hard for me to literally speak outside, like, to say to my ears, to say to myself, Corey, why are you downcast? Corey, why are you angry? Corey, why are you insecure? That is so hard for me to say. I don't know why that, that's painful 
to, to hear, allow my ears to hear it. And yet, this is what David is doing. He's, he is now making statements. Why are you downcast? And now the decks have been cleared for him to actually begin to respond in his heart because his heart has been reconnected. It's been reconnected. I love this, this, this whole psalm because David was longing for something greater. He was longing for a hope, a real hope that would come close. The better David would appear. The, the better David would appear. And at the end of his life, this is what he says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 37, 39. Taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. What do they do? Sleep. Those closest turn their back on Going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let the cup pass. He's honest and transparent. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, Jesus understands the pain of being displaced, being removed from heaven and coming to earth. He understands the pain of being disowned. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He understands what it's like to be dry, going through 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness. He knows what it's like to be drowned by sin on the cross. He knows what it's like to be disheartened as a result of those you love the most turning their backs on you. The soul that we sink into that crushes us and causes a split soul. In Jesus, you have one man who literally, he gets swallowed up by the sinkhole of sin. He allows himself, the perfect man, gets swallowed up by the sinkhole, and yet he emerges. He emerges. Three days later, the king comes back and now is offering you and I the hope of a flourishing life in the midst of a sinking world. So the last thing. This is a picture of the Gan Hashlosha National Park. This is in Israel. Many scholars believe that this is, Pastor A.A.J., he preached out of Jeremiah 17 for a, like for a small bit. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the verse that, talks about a tree planted in waters. A lot of scholars believe that Jeremiah is looking at this as he's writing. This is called the, the Three Springs Park. Three springs meet together in the midst of a wilderness. Dry, desert, and in the midst of chaos, there's, there's rivers. You can go to the next slide. Beauty, tranquility, peace, life, water, rest, right there in the midst of the wilderness. 
What if our soul could look like this? It's been a prophetic picture for my life. Here, just the last few, few, few months, I've had this in my back pocket, not really sure when I was going to bust this thing out. And because I've been staring at it and staring at it and staring at it, going, God, I want to have a soul that is like that, that flourishes, that now is a space for other people to come and find hope. God, I did not just for me, not, not, not just so I can survive, not just so I can get mine, not just so I can now make it through, but God, give me a soul that my kids can look at and go, oh God, you gave it to Pop, you could do it to me. A soul that I can now enter into the chaos of our world and in the midst of, of all that is happening, all of the pain, and, and, and all of life upside down, racially, economically, socially, politically, and yet have a soul that, whose eyes are seeing above it all, integrated, not disintegrated. What if this is a prophetic picture, not just for you, but for our church? What, what if we were an oasis, a dry and weary land? What if you were to actually own what you have inside of you when it comes to pain? What if you were to own that? Like, what if you had the courage to bring it out, put it on the table? For some of us, we're literally slipping, or for others, we're growling. We're growling, we're angry. Just don't know why, we don't know where, we don't know how. We just, it just takes so little for us to enter into a world of reactivity. We're attacking. We don't know why. We, we, we make all of these reasons and, act and just like we, we justify it in our head. But man, when you sleep at night, you're like, man, I don't know why I'm doing that. I don't know why. It, it could be that this is a moment for you to begin to fight against the sinkhole. And you can do that not because of three tips from Corey or a really good psalm. It's because we have a king who's faced it and now has emerged out of the sinkhole of sin and just offers himself to you and to me and goes, will you follow me? Will you follow me not just right now? Will you follow me tomorrow? Will you follow me into now getting things right with that person that you're angry with? Will you now follow me into a place of now you're acknowledging sin? Will you follow me into now a place of acknowledging in relationship what you've been wrestling with inside and no longer becomes a personal thing, it becomes a community thing? What if we were to have an oasis within our church in this city? Let's pray. Spirit of God, we, we are asking that you would graciously, tenderly, God, that you would meet us with power, with, with your grace, with your strength, with your commitment, with your, with your clarity, we, where, wherever you are, just, just begin to kind of go to some spaces where you know God is at work. God, I, I acknowledge in my own heart, I get angry. And I don't know why. I don't know why. But God, today, I've, I just sense you want me to acknowledge that I give you control because I've been trying to take it. I'm angry because I'm losing control. For some of you, you're, you're slipping 
find yourself slipping into spaces where you feel like God has turned his back on you. You feel like people have turned their back on you. You feel like the places where you're supposed to receive nourishment, man, they're just dry, dry, dry. You're just exhausted. Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge where we are. We courageously acknowledge it. Straight up with you. We own it. But God, we, we come boldly to you because of Jesus Christ. Because of him and him alone. Lord, we look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him. He, 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 he turned his back on sin. Scorning shame faced it on the cross and it offers to us right now, he offers peace he offers hope he offers courage when we take that we thank you for the privilege of taking care of our soul God we are not God we are, our, we are the keeper of our soul the keeper of it thank you for the privilege of protecting it, in your name we pray Amen, Amen.